Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Genesis. Lipstick this morning. Today's reading is from Psalm 25, 1 through 9. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, I picked the psalm, which is something I rarely do, and it's kind of a bummer because... The Psalms are such gorgeous uh, ways of expressing either lament or desire or praise, and they're usually really, really raw. Uh, This one is an eloquent statement of a person's deep, deep desire. Uh, You read at first that they're not to be shamed, their enemies won't triumph, and that's real when You're a person where enemies are coming after you. But then it gets deeper and it gets into things like, uh, teach me your ways, oh God, and so that I may follow your paths. And it gets into grace and mercy. And so it's really, really rich. So when I saw Psalm 25 on this week's lectionary readings, I thought there's no way we can pass this one up. Now there's good news and bad news because... (laughs) (laughs) which I'll explain. The good news is we're doing the psalm, and I think, I hope that it's going to be a real genuine invitation for us to connect with God in deeper, more soulful ways. And I'm going to give you some practices at the end, which I think, uh, I hope that they're helpful. 
Uh, the bad news is we're only going to get to the first line. <laughs> That's all we have time for. And so the first line is, to God, I lift up my soul. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And so you got to ask the question, what are we talking about when we talk about the soul or our souls? So we can understand different parts of our being, right? There's the brain or the mind, and that's the thing that's responsible for helping us determine what's safe or what's dangerous. When we have to turn left or right, uh, we rely on our brain. Um, when we have to store memories, that's our brain's job. For, it solves problems. And uh, our mind is beautiful. It can also really get us uh, stuck in loops of shame or dangerous thinking, fear-based thinking. We can get rooted in our flight or fight response, depending on what we're being presented with. So our mind is amazing. It's just not really uh, capable of interacting with the many, many different things that the world throws out at us alone. So then we have our bodies, right? And our bodies are the things that are responsible on one part for getting us from here to there, right? We walk, we run, uh, and it also is the portal that allows us to experience pleasure and pain. It makes babies and it eats good pasta. Our body is... Uh, it stores water and it gets us ready for rest and for action and we need to move it and we need to rest it. And there's all kinds of things that our body does. Our body talks to us about the things that we need to do if we can really, really listen. Our bodies are just amazing, amazing communicators uh, if we'll learn to listen. But then there's the soul. And so I want to ask the question... What are we talking about when we talk about the soul? Let's let that be the first all play question. Use the comments in the Facebook watch party to answer this question. What are we, what are we talking about when we talk about the soul? Okay, so I asked this question on our Facebook uh, community group. And um, got a lot of really great responses. One was, yeah, body, soul, mind, spirit. Uh, it helps to differentiate those things if we're going to understand the soul. Uh, another one, for me, it's helpful to distinguish those things uh, from the other parts of us. What is our soul as it relates to our body or our mind? And then another person said, I think that the soul is that part of us that instinctually knows that we're connected to something larger than we are, that we're more than just an autonomous grouping of cells. Oh, I like that. Uh, and then, of course, someone had to say, your soul equals your Enneagram number. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Uh, someone else said, clearly distinct from the body, but beyond that, it's something of a mystery to me, perhaps intended to be that way. Uh, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. This quote from the scriptures, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whoa. Uh, and that's part of the scriptures. Someone else said, the soul is our life in Christ. We need to consciously protect and nurture it. Uh, I don't think it's responsible for anything. I asked in the Facebook uh, group, what is the soul responsible for? Uh, another said, um, back row right next to the blues. 
<laughs> Thank you, David Schlenk. So good. Uh, another person said, I believe our soul is the core or center of who we are. Remember, our body is this shell, but our soul is our authentic self. It will never die. It's our soul that will either go to heaven or hell. Uh, fascinating, beautiful responses, right? Uh, and so we need to dive into this. If we're going to lift up our souls to God, what is the soul? Uh, and I would be, I would wish I could have read the, the comments that you wrote live. Uh, if we go to the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, nefesh. And it literally means that which breathes. Interesting. That which breathes. Feels like only the body could do that. Uh, but then we get a little deeper, the inner being of a human, the living being, the person himself or herself. And then I like this one, the seat of the appetites, emotions, and passions. Nefesh means soul. In Genesis 2-7, we read the first time Nefesh is associated with the human beings in creation, the creation story. Again, this is Genesis 2-7. We read this, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. And the phrase for became a living being is hayah he nefesh, became a living being. And so there's this sense that it is the truest self. It's the inner being that is located somewhere inside of you, inside your spirit, inside your mind, inside your body. Where can you locate the soul? Where is it, right? If you could look it up on a map, if you could look it up on Google Maps, where would it be? I think that's a mystery, <laughs> but it's clearly something inner and it's clearly something that's connected to the divine that God breathed in the, the human became a human living being only when the dust got connected with the breath. That's when the breath of the divine, the dust of the earth connected with the breath of the divine. And that's what enabled the human, the first human to become a living being, a living soul to have something that we might call the soul. I thought about this, and this is my definition for soul, okay? Take it or leave it. The truest essence of who you really are, where the dust of your unique humanity meets the living breath of the divine. Say it again. The truest essence of who you really are, where the dust of your unique humanity meets the living breath of the divine. So what I mean by your unique humanity, I mean the person that you are that nobody else is. Your soul is that place where the unique you, your humanity, not your perfection, <laughs> your humanity meets the living breath of the divine. That intersection is your soul, I think. So your soul is bigger than your Enneagram number. <laughs> Uh, it's deeper than any insight you've had in therapy, as good as therapy is. 
It's not your soul is not propped up by your greatest achievement and it's not torn down by your biggest mistake. Best of all, your soul, that intersection where your unique humanity intersects with the living breath of the divine is not limited by your thoughts about your soul, by your capacity to understand the soul or even think about the soul. Your soul is not limited to your ability to understand it or think about it. Can I get an amen to that? Now we're getting deeper and deeper into it. So picture a newborn baby. I think this is a good picture of what I mean by the unique humanity meets the divine breath because there's kind of a reflexive um, union that is happening between you and the divine that is bigger than thinking and even bigger than uh, human experience. But picture a newborn baby that has just been breastfed. You know how they have that sort of like rosy glow, their cheeks are flush, they're sleeping or not sleeping. Maybe they're gazing at their mother and they're in this state of being completely satisfied. And what I understand of newborn babies in terms of their cognition is that for the first few months of their life, they're not even aware that they're a different person than their mother. They're not even aware that they're a different person than their mother. And especially when they are satiated and satisfied, rosy glow on the cheeks, they are full, they've had enough, and they're in that state of either sleeping or just gazing at their mother. Uh, That is the picture of the soul that works for me because that baby, believe it or not, in that moment is not aware of any distinction or separation from his or her mother. He's not worried about when he's going to get his next meal. He's not aware of the diaper he's wearing or whether it's day or night. He's just living in this kind of deep, satisfied contentment and union between who he is and who his mother is, where his needs are being met. And he's not even aware of needs at all. Do you know what I mean by that? To be aware that your needs are being met or to have your needs be met without any awareness that you have needs at all. That's the state of the soul that we're talking about here. Psalm 131, if you look it up, this is another beautiful psalm. Uh, It says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. Uh, meaning I'm not uh, thinking too too big of myself. My eyes are not raised too high. That just means I'm not thinking about anything else. I don't occupy myself with things too great or too marvelous for me. That means I'm not, I'm not engaged in uh, reflecting on the mysteries of life. I'm not even aware of much. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. My soul is like the weaned child that is within me. That's right from the Psalms. I think that's a great picture of this. What we're talking about, our soul, the truest essence of who we are, that intersection of the divine breath and our unique humanity. And I think... um, 
it's like, whoa, right? It feels metaphysical to even think about that place. And maybe there's lots of questions right now that you would have like, wait a minute, what? Like, but I think also you've had moments where you've experienced just, just a millisecond of that kind of contentment, that kind of calmness. Maybe it's in nature. Maybe it's with a loved one. Maybe it's just sitting alone. Maybe it's watching a film, listening to music. You've had a, just a moment where you are suddenly unaware of your surroundings. You're unaware of thoughts that might, you know, bombard you. And you're just aware of a kind of a satisfied union with something much larger than yourself. I think that's what it means to lift up your soul. So then the question becomes this, how do you learn to lift up your soul? Like, how do you learn to get in contact with that part of yourself that is like a weaned child with his mother? That part of yourself that is not your Enneagram number and that is not your biggest insight, that is not propped up by your greatest achievement or torn down by your biggest failure. That part of you which is bigger and deeper and truer than any ego classification that you have, any thought that you could have about yourself or that anyone could have about you. What does it mean to get in touch with that place inside of you and then lift it up to God? Well, I think it begins with learning to quiet the monkey mind. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. It's, a, it's I think, used by Buddhist practitioners. But the monkey mind is when you become aware that there's just a constant chattering in your mind. <laughs> uh, it's like there's a bunch of monkeys and trees out there chattering away and making judgments about everything, having to classify everything you come across as good or bad, safe or dangerous, uh, new or unfamiliar, and therefore it gets you ready to get into a fight or run or freeze. It's always, your mind is always judging, always solving problems, and always making distinctions. And if you become aware of how much it's just chattering, chattering, chattering away, you realize how much, how hard it is to sink down into that soul part of yourself that is calm because you're always on high alert when you're only focusing on what you're thinking about, what your mind is. And so, and I even think sometimes when we pray, uh, we actually we and i'm not trying to make too many distinctions of good prayer and bad prayer or failing or succeeding at prayer please don't don't go there but i think in my own experience sometimes i have experienced even when i intent set my intention to pray it's just i'm just engaging my chattering monkey mind and i'm just it's actually a form of worrying in god's presence maybe <laughs> instead of learning to trust God and to sink down into that soul place so that you can lift up the truest self beyond that chattering thinking self. Uh, how much of our prayer, I wonder, is like just active worrying? Jeez. So I think there's there's just got to be a better way. And many people, many wise uh, people among the along the years have come up with Various ways of practicing silence, practicing centering prayer, or contemplative prayer. And Father Thomas Keating, uh, who just died recently, he was one of those ones that really developed a method for learning to calm the chattering mind and learning to sink down into that presence with God 
where you're less aware of your thinking and your thoughts and you're more just aware of union like that, um, like that baby, that newborn baby. So I'm going to read this. Um, I, I, in my latest book, Shining Like the Sun, I talked about the practice of attentiveness, which is one of the practices in our church. And I, I write about contemplative prayer. So I want to read parts of it, and then I'm going to walk you through four movements. And I'm going to provide a Google Doc with these four movements right in the uh, Facebook watch party right now. So don't worry about having to write it down. Uh, but like practicing silence, contemplative prayer involves detaching from the hyper-aroused reactive mind, that chattering monkey mind, and learning to rest in God with what is. In contemplative prayer, we're present to the goodness of God in this moment, depending on God to give us what we need in order to love, grow, and become ourselves. So there's countless ways to practice centering prayer or contemplative prayer. A simple form is centering prayer, which is similar to practicing silence, but with the addition of a focus word, a phrase, or a sacred object. Uh, so here's how you would do it. You could start with setting a timer for 10 minutes, and then maybe you slowly move up to 20 or even 30 minutes when you get comfortable with it. But I think it's okay just to rest with 10 minutes for as long as, <laughs> as, long as it takes, because it takes a while. Uh, and then uh, just these are four movements of that kind of centering prayer. So first of all, you would sit or lie comfortably and you would choose a sacred word. For example, love, Jesus, God, the divine, peace, joy, contentment, whatever it is, just one sacred word as the symbol of your intention to consent to God's presence and action within. So this is an active invitation to connect with the divine breath on a soul level using one word. So if you pick a word, it could be any word, any word that just you associate with sort of calming, centering down. And then the second movement is um, some people close their eyes or some people gaze at an object like a cross or a lit candle that helps them focus their attention during these 10 minutes. Uh, other people close their eyes. Either way, when you're ready, you set that timer, you press go, uh, and then you bring your sacred word to your mind, symbolizing your consent to God's presence and action within. And you might associate that with your breath. You breathe in that word. And then breathe out that word. Breathe in that word and breathe out that word. And then number three, this is really important. What's going to happen many times during that 10 minutes is uh, when you become aware of your chattering monkey mind, any stray thoughts or worries, just accept those things. You're going to find that all of a sudden you've been thinking about something for two whole minutes or more. And then, but then once you become aware of it, just it's no problem. Notice that without judging it. Watch it float on by like clouds in the sky. It's, it, this happens to all of us. The movement is then to return to your word. Return to your word and your breath or your object. And then at the end of your prayer period, when 10 minutes or whatever is up, remain in silence with eyes closed just for a minute or two, just to rest with a gift. So I want to say a couple words if you want to practice that. Uh, it's important, I think, to release expectations that you're going to have some profound experience with God. Mostly what you're learning to do over time 
in this exercise is to quiet the monkey mind so that you can achieve union with God, not just in those moments, but in all the moments of the day. So uh, I've been practicing this, and I just think it's one of the beautiful ways to rest in God without so many words and without using the chattering monkey mind to you know, lead you in or out of whatever you need to be in. So I want to I want to encourage you. Uh, though the, here, here's an invitation for some of you. Uh, try this. Try this practice for 10 minutes a day for the next 30 days. Okay, just set an intention. You'll miss some days here and there, and that's okay. And some of you might want to do it in the morning. Some of you might want to do it midday. Some of you might want to do it at night. The point is not to be to get gold stars or 30 out of 30. The point is not to make sure you you know do it right. Um, but when, when you set your intention and when you do it, your mind's going to wander and that's okay. Let go of your expectations of some divine feeling or meeting. Uh, just practice being in the presence of God without words, like that infant that isn't even aware that he's in his mother's presence. And over time, I think you're going to fall. You're going to find that you'll fall into a deep, wordless contentment uh, that is beyond your thoughts, beyond your attachments, and beyond your personality. And this, I think, is what it means to lift up your soul to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.